Hello everyone and welcome. This is episode 30 of the Lion Learns to Write podcast with Andre Bright, reclaiming our narrative through identity, empowerment and creativity. And today I have, man, this guy is such a creative, like mentally stimulating guy. We've worked together before. I had the honor of having him as part of my, my piece um, talking about identity and cultural displacement. This is Isaac and we learn a little bit about him. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And we're recording, amazing. So, I got a special guest here today. And I can't wait to get into conversation with you, bro. But in case people haven't met you or heard about you or know who you are, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Isaac Oranyao. Um, I'm a uh, multidisciplinary creative. Come I like on. to use that term. Tell them. Um, dance artist in theatre, freelance journalist, creative writer. Um, and yeah, I exist in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, mainly England work-wise, and yeah, I don't really know what else to say. Yeah, so that, that's my uh, that's my basic introduction. Nice, nah, good start. I am. Good strong yeah. start. But you said um, you exist mainly in England. Where else do you exist? Uh, in Togo. Oh, I would huh. like to exist more in Togo, where I was born and raised. Um, Amazing. I came to the UK when I was eleven. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's been recent developments that have made me pretty much yearn to go back to Togo, not permanently, maybe like semi-permanently to work mm, there and I can kind relate. Of establish myself as an international artist and creative and just person. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so why now, do you feel? Um, good question. I think it's to do with um, age. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, I've been broken in in half in existing in Togo for half of my life and the other half here. Uh-huh, okay. uh, but I've kind of pushed on over half in the UK here um, yeah. this time. Um, I'm 26, so you can mm-hmm. do the math. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of like that formative stage in your adulthood, you know, 26, where the next things pretty much establish who you are going to be as an adult moving forward. True that. And I I like the UK, mm-hmm. but I love Togo. Right, okay. And I would rather exist in multiple places. I mean, the, the title multi- multidisciplinary creative already speaks about my identity. I like to exist in different yeah. spaces and boxes and use different parts of myself. Um, mm. And the same applies identity-wise to Togo in here, I feel British because of, you know, just living my teenage and formative adult years here, mm. but there's a an adult, there's a yearning for Togo um, mm. from, you know, my childhood and, yeah, and every time I go back, that nostalgia gets reimagined into the everyday life. You know how, right. like, there's a romanticism from people who aren't as connected to their yeah. motherland or homeland, whether they were born there or not, they're mm. still connected, but they're not 
completely immersed there and there's a romanticism yeah i don't think i have that romanticism i just have images and memories growing up there and every time i right. go back those memories are re reinforced it's not just uh -huh. memories but like actual valid living experiences that can exist in my adulthood as well yeah. as my childhood so it's yeah. not like oh the sun the beach it's like i'm there and it all feels great like the sun does feel great it's not yeah. just you know imagining it from here so yeah, there's that genuine yearning to go back and establish myself as as mm. um, as a working professional there. Um, so I guess right now is because there's been a, a lot of personal changes going on, mm -hmm. and it it just feels right. Yeah, because before I, I've always been the kind of guy who thinks like there's never the right time. So I tend to always bide my time to yeah, make yeah. sure I feel, if not 100% ready, at least 80 to 90% ready. Right, okay. <laughs> Whereas now I don't feel like I'm even 50, 60% ready to embark on that journey, but I feel like the decision needs to be make, made now. Right, okay, um, yeah. For it to like exist the way I want it to exist in the next five, 10 years. So what does that look like? Uh, it looks like being a st an established international artist mm -hmm. uh working out of the uk and togo going like ma mainly in the african and afro caribbean diaspora uh -huh. circuit of artistry okay I, I found a home there as well amazing um awesome. sharing my work there and yeah being established in togo yeah in that sense the the vision is still being built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in its root, in the, at its core, mm. is just being there and experiencing the day to day and having that inform how my work exists, rather than just mainly the UK. Yeah, no, I hear that. Um, yeah. Are you kind of expecting certain things in terms of what what that will how it will influence your your work? Or um, are you just open. Yeah, I am actually, because there's a very big difference to the kind of work I am creating or inclined to create or mm -hmm. expected to create in the UK versus there. Interesting. Um, it's something I've talked to um, uh, Hannah hutchings Georgia of uh, uh. Lucy, Lucy Writers before, uh, platform sorry, right. um, about the expected work from black or hip-hop theater artists right it kind of tends to have to be maybe not have maybe have is a strong word but it's expected to be social political if okay. you if you want to have a voice as a hip-hop theater artist or as a, a black or bame artist mm. in the uk circuit or the west your work would tend to be social political right that's a good point actually Maybe not so much if you're in the contemporary circuit because okay. you're 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 already taught to think differently to experience um, stimuli for work differently. So I might be inspired by a flask and want to you know mm. look at how the the shape of circles influence all of us in our daily life. Mm -hmm. That might be an interesting idea to explore. Mm. I just feel like there's no not so much a liberty in the hip hop theatre world to explore that right. because. For you to exist fully, right? There's an element of well, what are you trying to say? Right, okay, and that yeah. means I don't. Okay, do I have to say something? Okay, that means mm -hmm. I have to say something powerful. Right, it has to be strong, and that tends to be social political. 
that's not to say social political doesn't exist in in African or West African uh, artistic circles. Mm. It's just that the pressure is different. Right. Okay. So there, I might explore. Um, I mean, slavery is always a, a big thing, mm. but I might be inclined to explore the daily life in a uh, working class life versus the elite. How that's mm-hmm. that's such a dis- there's such a disparity there. Yeah. If I'm looking at social political work or just explore the joy of eating a mango, mm-hmm. do you know? Yeah. And that's not to say that pressure doesn't isn't like doesn't exist here. I just feel that I don't I wouldn't have that or I don't have that much pressure right. if I think from that perspective. And I've already experienced different works um, just being here through a serendipity at Leicester, okay. based at the Curve Theatre. And just seeing works by Haitian artists and American artists and Amazing. Senegalese artists, and how even though there tends to be a social political uh, message, it's not limited in the sense of it needing to exist in the UK mm. or being enforced in the UK. The perspective is different, and I think that's what matters. Because mm. me creating the work, a work like the Oreo Complex here, even though I'm doing everything to unshackle myself right uh from the white western perspective most okay. theater goes in the uk are white middle class people mm. so for them to empathize or maybe just sympathize with the work there is a western thinking that needs to exist in the work right whether that's in the creative process or how you stage it yeah and even my thinking i mean I went to school here, I was educated here, yeah. so my thinking is already in a Western perspective. Mm. So that already, maybe not panders, but aligns with a, a white perspective way of thinking, even mm. though I'm creating what looks like a black work about black identity. It's an interesting point, yeah. And I feel like if I was mm. to take the Oreo complex mm. on an African stage, right. it would make no sense, because right, okay. being oppressed is different in Togo to the UK, yeah. uh, existing as a black minority in the mm. UK is completely different to Togo because you're not the minority, you're the majority. Mm. So the, the 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 themes then would need to change. Yeah. The level of yeah. oppression would need to be addressed. Mm. So that's why I feel like there will be a liberation in me exploring identity in its totality Yeah, yeah. if I was to work in the international circuit. Interesting. That's Africa. Nice. Sounds like an element of freedom. Essentially, yeah. And it's something I've thought about like really long and hard. And Mm. even though I am exploring a level of freedom here and a a level of opportunities that come in this country, I just feel like the work itself Mm. would exist on a completely different plane Mm. from living and experiencing that type of freedom. Yeah. But that's just my perspective. I'm sure other people have that perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to compare. I just think that's the decision I've arrived to through my own journey yeah. and getting to where I am and looking at the work I'm creating and thinking every time I want to talk about black identity, I have to talk about a level of oppression because that's mm. what exists in this country. You know? Yeah. You, uh, an artist reflects the environment they, they work in mm. and I rather reflect the Togolese environment and that era right, of freedom, right, right. what blackness looks like on an international stage through that lens rather than mm. through this lens. 
because I feel like this lens, and by this lens I mean the UK lens, always reinforces the oppression it's trying mm. to unshackle itself from. I mean, you may find, because I, I, I know what you, you're, you're getting at, but the only thing I'd, I'd say to that is, because obviously we, we have produced works around similar kind of concepts before, and with mine, on the research I did with mine, it, I found it very interesting because some of the people who responded to my initial survey were within the continent and experienced the same thing, but just in different countries. Mm. And like, I guess what I was, I was driving at is you might find that if you take it down to the very, very root, as, as opposed to like the concept of race or whatever, if it's just like feeling othered, for example, you could apply that to oh yeah absolutely there is always a level of othered um, Mm. that exists anywhere you go I guess for me I'm just tired of being othered for my skin colour right yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I want to be othered for something else (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I mean it's like if I can choose the level of or the type of oppression or the type of trauma I'm going to experience I'd rather not experience this trauma (laughs) yeah well that's an interesting idea for a piece you know yeah I mean (laughs) Because it would be naive to think just because I go to a majority black country means I'm going to be safe. I mean, look at the mm. year of return for Ghana. Those, uh, those are, I think, people from America traveling there mm. still feel an element of uh, seclusion because mm. they existed in mainly a working or middle class society, Western society. Mm. And to go there, you're still othered because... Yes, you have the same skin color. Yes, you have mm. maybe most likely the same heritage, but culturally you're different. Yeah, and I think that 100%. in itself speaks volumes. You can be culturally othered mm. by the same people yeah. that look like you, maybe not talk like you, but might yeah just sound a bit like you or have the same roots. Mm. So again, that's not to say I have a naivety about uh, escaping. The, mm. the 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 level of other or the the ability to be othered mm. is just every time I've existed in Togo and lived day to day those pressures have disappeared mm. and I've actually had so many elaborate and amazing ideas about the same ideas I've thought about here okay because of the environment. Mm. And I just feel like I need that environment to elevate to the next level of my artistry. Right. Because in my humble opinion, and again, this is my opinion, I'm sure others have, not even sure, others have thrived in this country. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But in my opinion, I have felt a glass ceiling. Okay. Even though I'm I'm still early careers in terms of the the amount of years I've been active as an artist, I've already felt a glass ceiling in terms of existing as a black artist, um, expressing himself through hip-hop or other styles, Mm. um, I felt that glass ceiling of, if you want to exist here, these are kind of the lanes you're going to thrive in. Right, right, And if you try that, yes, you might be successful, but Mm. the possibility and the probability of that is very low. Right, okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Do you know what I mean? I mean... Look at someone like um, Alessandro Sutin, who's an incredible yes. artist. Queen. But her name is barely ex- existing in, in like the artistic circuit in this country. Which is insane. Barely. And yeah. I mean, 
that doesn't mean not because Sadler's Wells is a big name yeah. to pick her up. But I'm pretty sure before that, others were like, oh, who's that? I think for me, one of the um, things that really kind of opened that whole thing was there was a triple bill. And I can't remember who the first choreographer was, but it was Alessandra Sutin and Botis Seba. Oh, um, um, it's uh, Julie Cunningham. Is it that's Julie? the one. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that was it. So it, it was it's this. Cunningham. The surname is Cunningham, but I'm done. Yeah, his first name, right? And um, and we there? Did you yeah, see I was it? there. Yeah. I remember we there when they did this talks and stuff. After. Yeah. Do you remember when they called them effectively like new? Yeah. I was baffed. Right. By that. I was like, I was like, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, they've been on the scene for, like, decades. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I couldn't understand absolutely. that term, minology. Um, I think it just speaks about how the contemporary world looks at artists. I feel like you can be early careers mm. for, like, 30 years. Right, okay. <laughs> mm. Mid for, like, five, and then you're just late careers for the rest. <laughs> right. And then yeah. when you're late careers... You tend to be ignored because most opportunities of a true well, maybe young people I should say rather than early careers because you can be fifty and be early careers according to yeah. the to, to the the way the system works. Mm. So yeah, there, there is a level of surprise there. Um, maybe I'm speaking from ignorance, but I wasn't sure how new. Uh, again, I'm going to say just Cunningham Asserning was because mm. I feel like she is absolutely new to the circuit. Maybe five, mm. around six years operating. Right. Um, but yeah, someone like Alessandra Sutton has been, she's, she's around like, for decades. She, oh man, I need to get her on this. So that's one. why, yeah, looking at her and looking at you in your own journey and looking like at someone like, um, uh, Thomas Talawa, yes. that you, you can break free mm -hmm. by exploring the international circuit. And I know you that's can do that point. being yeah. honed in a, in, in a Western country. Mm. But I see someone like Alessandra Sudan and having talked to her and heard how free she has become yeah. from just being everywhere, but yeah. having a home somewhere she feels at home and welcomed mm. in uh, in Senegal and Zimbabwe, isn't it? Or is um, it? I definitely. Kenya. She's from Zimbabwe. Yeah, I, I can't even remember to be yeah. honest with you. Like, yeah. Yeah, but just. Being able to operate from there, but having yeah. the freedom to go everywhere, yeah. I see that as the ideal. For me, again, I right. understand that's not right, and I'm sure other uh, people maybe will disagree with me saying this, but I just feel like that's the ideal for the artist I want to be and try, trying to become in exploring identity in mm. its totality. So do you, do you feel like identity is like a core thing that your work tends to revolve around? because of your experiences here or is it just something where in general you probably would have been like that's a good anyway? that's a good um question um because i've i'm relatively late as an art well actually that's not true in terms of the contemporary world i'm mm. late to the artistic scene but maybe okay. not hip-hop because i started actually even thinking about this professionally at 20 Okay. I started dancing at um, 15. Um, 
Shoot, if you're late, I must be some. <laughs> exactly, that's what I mean. In terms of like the contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> but hip hop is like, you can just be 25, just, hop in and you're good. You can yeah, be right? 30, hop in and you're good. <laughs> uh, again, that does occur in the contemporary world, but in mm. terms of uh, the, the the standard, maybe. Right, okay. Maybe that's the word to use. Yeah. Um, but anyway, going back to your question, I feel because I've lived long enough in Togo, mm to still retain different levels of existing there. I keep using the word existing. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, um, going <laughs> of living there yeah. and retaining a strong understanding of identity there. Because, mm. I mean, in those ages, you are building up who you are going to be. Yeah. And that being uprooted to England and living my teenage and formative adult years here, mm. I think I already had an understanding of identity and how it yeah. exists in different environments and different societies. Mm. So that would always inform what I was going to do. I mean, I, I studied, excuse me, I studied journalism. Mm -hmm. And even then I was writing about um, identity in the sense right, okay. of um, class, uh, socio-politically, and um and yeah and economically mm, i was always okay. interested about that um so i think because of my experience in those two countries and those two continents identity has always been at the core of my thinking how mm. different i'm treated here and because i've existed here uk going back there how i'm reimagined as mm -hmm. as uh you know white or black, black <laughs> yeah. and white, you know, Real talk. A, exactly, if Real it's talk. not classed the way you sound or, mm -hmm. or talk, it's just the fact that you've lived there has changed how you're imagined mm. in a place of birth or, 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 or root. So again, yeah, because I've, I've experienced those things, mm. identity was always going to be a part of my thinking and how yeah. I've approached art. Um, so I feel like it would be a huge injustice to not speak about it, mm. mm -hmm. but I don't want the shackles of only speaking about yeah. it. And that's what I'm experience, experiencing as I'm hitting this plateau of, okay, now I can actually take this work to the next level. Yeah. How do I go about it? I don't want to be the artist who only talks about trauma and puts trauma on stage mm. and trauma around identity and blackness. It's important. I yeah. will create that work but I don't want to be limited to no, anything. Yeah. And that's not to say I can't, you know, I can't thrive not doing that. Mm -hmm. Other artists have. I just feel in the circuits I'm operating in, in the multidisciplinary world, mm -hmm. I'm very much feeling that path being narrowed in trying to define right. the kind of work I need to make to exist and succeed. Mm. So talk to me about the art scene in Togo, because you're gonna have to excuse my ignorance, bro. Like, bro, I mean, I'm okay. still learning about the different. I mean, we got 54 countries. Like, mm. I'm, I'm still getting myself up in terms of the social, political environments and all this kind of stuff. But the artistic environment in Togo, I have no idea about. Yeah, so how, it's, what's it like over there? It's something I'm still learning about. Okay. The dancing is dance scene is very scarce. Okay. Um, there's an artist, um, actually, much like. Um, the cow footprints being yes. like a contemporary like an avant-garde artist where right. he started in the 80s where 
dance was seen as, you know, like, what are you doing? That's right. just for, that's yeah. literally for ritual or entertainment. Because it was still respected as ritual, you know, drumming and and singing are kind of seen as synonymous traditionally. Yeah. But it yeah. only exists in the traditional circuit. And he pretty much replicating the the way theatre and dance exist here. Taking that in the in the eighty, he's called um Asaiga. Asaiga. Yeah, and he's a, a incredible artist, but he's literally one of the forefathers of creating that movement. Okay. And other than him, I actually don't know. I'm still doing my research. I mm. will admit my ignorance. There's not a lot I know, but I'm doing my research to find out. Mm. And what I've also realised is how um, homogenous the dance world is in West Africa. Right. Where it's like Senegal to Burkina Faso to Togo to Ghana mm. to Benin to Sierra Leone. It's all connected. Like yeah. That world is so niche that yeah. once you know a few people... You That's know true. most people, and I'm sure you would ex- you would have experienced that going to a Col de Sable, yeah, which seems yeah, to yeah, be yeah, like yeah. the the holy ground for Western or for even for African dance mm. in all its entirety. Um, so I'm still I'm still learning, but going by that one name, I say yeah, he's working here actually in 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 England himself. Okay, right. Um, but also exists on the international circuit. Yeah. Um, he teaches more than he he performs now. Um, okay. But yeah, just looking at that name and researching the the lack of of a, a, of the dance world specifically in Togo, mm-hmm. I've already seen where I can slot myself. Amazing. And, hence my ideas of building there. Um, and I know it's going to be hard because art and theatre tend to be propped up and maintained by a middle class <laughs> and there is a lack of a middle class in most of African nations yeah doesn't mean they don't exist mm. but they either tend to be already in a political world which means you know art kind of can challenge uh, political uh, institutions mm. so if you're a middle class person and you're already involved in the political world mm. chances are you're not going to really be engaged with something that has the potential to critique interesting um, yeah and also it's not it's it's culturally young theater okay. and dance again it it has a very different um cultural existence in in, in african countries mm. whether it's traditional or entertainment or storytelling but storytelling in its own way like right. rio yeah. That has its own, you know, culture of experience in that work. Yeah. So to think of something very Western like theatre and place it there, mm. it's still quite young. So um But I mean even that could be something you can explore. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I'm looking at. Um mm. but I I'm aware of the different cultural challenges. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean I won't face them, I'm aware of them. Um so that's kind of where I see myself in terms of being an artist in Togo creating work that people will see yeah because there is an art scene there there is a creative world there uh film is huge there music is Amazing. huge there um and dance is huge there but only in in the way that we've seen in like backup dancing and okay um like the afrobeats dancers like right. creating new social dances that is huge in togo as okay. well as it is in most african countries mm. but in terms of dance in itself as a a way to express a narrative 
in the very, mm. I guess, Western style of thinking. It's still very new there. Okay. And it's something I'm very much thinking about how to yeah. make work. Yeah. I feel like we're going to have to have like another one of these when you like come back from <laughs> your first. Because obviously, because how, how often do you go? Um, right now, every two years, okay. trying to limit that to every year. I mean, yeah, I had that so same. expensive. It's not cheap. It's not at cheap all. at all. But yeah, so you'll be going back every max two years, yeah. every one year. Um, it'll be good to kind of see where you're at when you come back with that intention. Because I know yeah. with me, for example, I was going back every ten years uh. up to a certain point, and then I think up to 2018, and then it came to sorry 2016 and then 2018 and then 2019 mm. and now I've got my whole thing set up so I'm yeah. going back every year but when I when it's I got fun. everything set up I went there with an intention which mm -hmm. completely changed my experience there so it'll be interesting now you already said you don't have that like rose tinted glasses look at mm -hmm. Togo and stuff but you've been very observant you're 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 in the moment and you're experiencing it as a as a local, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it'd be interesting then to almost have the the work aspect of it if you Absolutely. haven't experienced that already. Yeah, I haven't experienced it at all. Okay, yeah, because I haven't been able to access that circuit yet. Uh -huh. Again, I am very perspective, perceptive, perspective. I'm very perceptive. Both. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. not a verb. I'm very perceptive about the environment and I'm mm. not naive about where I am in terms of my work output, the, the level of work it needs yeah, and the range I have and just mm. what's out there. I don't have a lot out there yet. Okay. And it's not to say I need to be established before making that next step, mm. but I need to be stable and right. I feel I'm still not stable um, because I'm, I'm, I'm essentially at the crossroads of the next few works I make can either establish myself here or in the international circuit. I see. Hence why I'm keen to make that change now rather than okay. kind of move forward and then kind of take a sideways tap right, before okay. expanding. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm aware of how long it's going to take potentially and I'm mm. not kind of thinking, okay, next three years, next four, kind of more thinking six to ten years yeah. for it to happen. Um, for what to happen? Uh, me being established there, or even having the intention to enter the country in an artistic sense. Okay. It's way too soon. Mm -hmm. um, I've legitimately only started having that thought at the end of last year. Mm. Um, so it's still in its infancy in terms of vision. Um, but, you know, like you said, you know, speak it and... Trust me. Maintain manifest. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, because, like, obviously... It's interesting hearing you, you, you use my name with some of the others you used earlier <laughs> on because I don't really see it like that. But I have definitely had a change once I attached everything I was doing to Sierra Leone and it mm. gave me a lot more purpose and drive and focus. Yeah. And I think because of that, things started to happen really fast. Like mm. that trip I did in 2018 was like a catalyst to everything. Mm. So it really kind of like... So do you, do you reckon it's purpose then? Because you've been making work here in, in the UK for a while. Mm. Um, not to say you didn't have direction, but you knew what you were doing here. You were making work, you were being seen. Yeah. You were known, you've been known. So is, it, <laughs> <laughs> so is it a case of purpose that just made things click and elevate? Because I feel like 
people can find their purpose here and thrive here mm -hmm. and you can find your purpose elsewhere but yeah. I'm just aware that I found my purpose elsewhere so you think for you was it that that point in your artistic career that made things kind of change and put mm. things into hyperdrive I think there's there's two things I'd say is purpose and ownership right mm. for me purpose because what I realized is there was a running theme through my stuff anyway but I hadn't really acknowledged it as that until I took my trip to Sierra Leone mm. um, and it wasn't even when I Basically, I had this visit to Sierra Leone in 2016, right? I'll tell you the whole story, right? <laughs> Went to 2016, um, and it was a great trip and everything, but it was the same as every other trip. So we go to church, you go to my grandma's house, we go to the shop, and then you go to the one beach out of like, <laughs> and then you come back home. And I was like, I remember at the end of that trip, no, trust me, I was, I was fuming like a couple of days before the end. I was like, mom, why are we doing this? Whenever we go as a family to Spain, yeah. to America and all this kind of stuff, we do tourist buses. We, by the time we're on day three, we're able to go around independently and do all this stuff. Uh. Like we, we're like tourists, we get to see the places. But when we come here, which is the place I'm born, which is like where I'm trying to connect with, mm. we have four locations <laughs> that we always go to, don't see anything else. So I went off on one. And she was like, okay, cool. So we're going to spend time like looking around and we got our uncle to drive us around. And it was just that, that particular day, mm. my mom actually thanked me because she was like, I saw so much today that I didn't know about. Mm. And, you know, and she moved away from Sierra Leone when she was like in her twenties for, for, for like uni and for her master's uh, PhD. So it was like, even for her, it was like a big change having that aspect of it. And it just changed something in me. It was like, it just created this yearning to kind of see more. But then I left it dormant. Mm. So I came back to UK and it was kind of like, I still had this mindset of like, you know, when I go, it's with family, mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing, obviously. Yeah. But when I went in 2018, actually, no, I'll tell a lie. All that was 2018. Oh. When I was going to go, then I came back and I was like, gassed. <laughs> I was like, literally, I was like, okay, this time, when I go, I don't care if you come or not. So I booked my ticket and I think that kind of started making, that focus of Sierra Leone started to make me really perceptive of everything I was already doing. So at that time, I already had become, like, had already mm -hmm. kind of started. So, but it was just performances at that mm -hmm. time. And the whole idea, so we had the Become Talks and stuff, which he came to. And I remember I went to Senegal that year in between the Become Talks. And that changed something in me as well. And then when I came back and I was like, oh, I need to, I need to basically go to Sierra, to Sierra Leone to learn more about my cultural heritage in terms of dance. So mm. I can put it back into my performances. Amen. That was That was the <laughs> idea. That was all it was. I yeah. was going to go there, learn from someone who can teach me some traditional dances, yeah. and I can use that influence to influence my performances. But then I met Yusuf Jallo, mm. the Calfoot Prince. Yes. And then that changed everything as well. So basically what I'm saying is like, once I started to focus, things started happening. Like it was literally like a catalyst, like dominoes. Mm. Like looking back, it was almost engineered in mm. a sense, like, I said when I had the, my interview with um, Yusuf Jallo, which is actually in, in, in the Lion Learns to Write, in 20 minutes DLR, 
we'd come up with a whole structure of the mm. National Storytelling Festival and what we could do, like to improve what he'd already built on. And then when I went there, we delivered it. And it was just like... Just like that. <laughs> yeah, just like that. So now it's like, now I've, I'm, I'm like really focused on what Become could be, mm. because then it kind of turned into something completely different. Now it's turning into like an organization. Mm. It's a more of an empowerment tool. It's like, it's to do with economy. It's to do with... Um, ownership, narrative, all this kind of stuff. But all of that, I definitely feel like wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have gone to Sierra Leone and had mm -hmm. the experiences I had mm -hmm. that kind of changed everything. Which is why I'm saying focus. it would be, yeah, oh, the focus changed Absolutely. everything for me. Yeah. Um, which is why I say like for you, it would be interesting to have another interview with you after you've had your experience with the intention that you're going with. Mm -hmm. Because I legit feel like going over there with that intention before you even land, before you step foot there, <laughs> things between now and then are going to start happening. Mm -hmm. Trust me. Now you've said it out loud and it's been recorded. <laughs> and it's <all> like... <laughs> I can't go back now. You can't go back now at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that's what I hope to, to happen. Um, mm. But again i'm very aware of i i very much think ahead yeah, yeah of, I my, of where i am um because looking at myself now and again i'm not I, i'm aware of at the present what i need to do uh, and what i mm. have in my catalog as a, of work but i'm very much uh, an ahead type of thinker and yeah. what i want to do and what i can do and what i will do rather than what i have um but i mean you kind of need an element of both to, to progress yeah. Anyway, um, so that's to say, even after all of this grandiose thinking, I mm. know I only have one piece of theatre work that still needs developing, that okay. I have one film, um, mm. short film, mm. dance mm -hmm. and poetry. Um, so I'm aware of what I need to do to be to allow that future thinking to occur, manifest itself. Yeah. So I'm not getting ahead of myself but I'm kind of getting ahead right, of myself okay. do you know no, what I mean trust me I know the feeling <laughs> especially as a creative in in our circles and like I said I, I like I'm not even sure if I know you but I know you mm. do you get me mm -hmm. like which is one of the reasons why I asked you to be part of my piece in the first place because like which is actually a good time to talk about it because that's how we really got to know each other I think yeah because we kind um, of knew of each other yeah, beforehand. Yeah, in the scene, but that's the thing, that's when you're connected. Yeah. yeah, and I was literally like, I need someone who, one, has an affinity with Africa, and two, can work almost without instruction. <laughs> <laughs> because at that time, especially, my whole process was a madness, bro. It was a madness. I don't even know no how lie. you... It was a madness. I threw you lot in the deep end, bro. <laughs> you did. Bro. It was jokes. <laughs> Look at, looking back at it, it's like, it's kind of yeah. wild. We, how much rehearsal time? We had like barely any as well. Listen. It was all concept, right? It was all, what, yeah. How are we going to do it? Uh, let's just do it on the stage, you know? Like, <laughs> let's see how it goes. <laughs> but the, what we produced was Yo, dope. We made like four amazing pieces. <laughs> okay. Was it four? It was, okay, listen, let me tell you, for those of you who are listening, wondering why we're cracking up, yeah? For those of you who came, Emerge Festival, thank you for the opportunity mm. to explore. Like, Adam Adam was amazing at creating that, um, that kind of freedom and that encouragement that every time you go, you have the opportunity to listen to feedback and change something in it and develop this piece. What 
he, I, you, and everyone else I worked with didn't realize is that every show would be so dramatically different. different. They were like completely different shows from. So we had a solo, we had a duet, a duet. we had a trio. And then there was one day when we just decided to extend it and put like this finale bit in there and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. All of which we did literally like the night before, if not on the day. But even before this fight, bearing in mind all this, we're not talking about a spread out thing. Mm. This is like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mm -hmm. Thursday, Friday. Nightly. Something like that. Yeah. But we started the rehearsals like the weekend before. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, it was mad because it was, I think it was, uh, we got to the rehearsal space and we just spoke. Yeah, first time round. <laughs> first time round, we just yeah. spoke for pretty much the whole session. And then we're like, okay, let's try something out. We've got like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. But I feel like because of the people you had in the room that were eager to just do, um, yeah. and were also open to talking yeah. and visualize, because I feel like because we all had a strong visual of what we wanted to do, it was yeah. easy to slot into it on stage and do it. So it wasn't completely, mm. you know, mad, like, what are we doing with just talking concept? Yeah. But you had a strong idea, and yeah. I think everyone implemented their own thoughts into that idea and made it solid. We just yeah. didn't rehearse it. Mm. But we knew what, we all had a, a, a strong image of what it yeah. would be. For sure. Because of that, we were all able to just slot in and go, okay, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah. And because we all had ownership of it, we yeah. could also exist outside of the boundaries a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of that freedom that the work it became <laughs> <laughs> very different things. Bro, I'm telling you, man, like that was, for me, it was like an eye opener just mm -hmm. in terms of the create. Like, I've always been curious about the creative process, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. But for me, that experience, out of all the kind of going through the motions of creating a piece was like the most learning mm. for me. Like it was, it was about finding out that not everyone can work like that mm -hmm. because like there were, I just couldn't ask certain people mm -hmm. because I knew that if I was to put them in that scenario, they would panic. Um, and I needed people who one understood the vision, but also would allow themselves to be owners of it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like not everyone can do that. Um, and I know with me, I don't really do choreography. Like when we did the British Museum piece, that was all games. Mm. Like you were, we, oh yeah, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, it was just like we we had we like literally sat here as you reminded me recording the audio, and it was like in sections. So like this section, I'm just gonna be it's gonna be a solo for me. Okay. This section, I'm gonna this. touch your shoulder, and then we're just gonna duet. <laughs> this section, we're gonna try and hit each other's knees. Mm. This section is free. <laughs> like, well, that's that's a beautiful freedom. Oh, because yeah. I, I hadn't experienced that in, again, in my own hip-hop circuit. I know mm. others create differently, but it's very much five, six, seven, eight. Even with yeah. a strong concept, yeah. your times, your seconds, even down to the millisecond is filled with mm -hmm. movement. And all of that movement tends to have an interpretation. Yeah. So it can be overloading and it can't be overbearing for the brain. Right, right, right. So it was generally quite nice to be like, oh, wow, there's... There's a structure, but there's freedom, and I like working mm. that way myself, and I feel like that's why we connected and clicked that easily. For sure. Because I know what I'm doing, I have strong checkpoints, but then mm -hmm. in between, it's open. 
because as long as we get to where we need to get to, the piece it. still speaks what I want it to speak. And I absolutely mm. agree with that line of thinking and creating, mm. which isn't for everyone, but when, no. it, when it works for some people, it really works and you can just get lost in it. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this, but for me personally, my favorite point in that whole thing, the museum one, was we did some leg and arm move mm. and you copied me or something. I remember looking at the side of my eye thinking, yo, he caught it. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to look so lit. <laughs> but, um, okay, so, like, generally, that's, that's, like, for me, that's become, like, part of my creative process, mm-hmm. just mad fluid like that. But I wanted to ask you about yours because mm. you've obviously got... One of, the, one of the things I've seen from you is the Oreo complex. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've told you this... But for me, that blew my mind. Like, oh, I, I saw it twice, you. right? Um, one of them, I only saw the tech because I was performing the same yeah. day as you, which sucked because I really <laughs> wanted to be in there. I was like, oh, my days. He started in, in like, Togo, and then all of a sudden, we're looking at microscopes, and all yeah, of a sudden, there's, right. like, a movie, all this kind of stuff. But what would you say is, like, your... Because I always, like I said, I feel like you're a cerebral artist, so that was a great example to me of what it is like to have someone who's very conscious of what they're producing and how they want to communicate it but what's your like process in terms of trying to get to an end goal or is there one um i don't think i i i ever work with an end goal okay um and i think this comes from Actually, my the way I was trained journalistically and how we write stories. Mm. So you never start with a headline because a headline is kind of like a summary. Right. And yeah. if you're writing a feature, like a column, mm. you tend to have the, the first paragraph is like an overall description of what you're going to do or write about in the piece. Right. And you never do that till the last bit because it's only after you've written your body of work that you realise, okay, slightly things have changed, but I'm still talking about this, but... Okay, now I can summarize that. At the start, I th- started wanting, wanting to say something, but I ended up finding other ways of discovery uh-huh. and other ways to communicate that, but that opened up a different path of thinking. So, mm. so that's just to say there is an element of freedom in the writing that you shouldn't box yourself in by already establishing what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Right. So in terms of creatively, I always approach an idea of, okay, this is what I want to say, but not definitively. Uh-huh, okay. This is the idea I want to communicate, but not definitively. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to cap it off with a title, because I feel like titles are very limiting. Right, yeah. Artistically, yeah, yeah. and I understand that through journalism. Titles are so limiting, because you're already giving yourself like a narrative through that mm. title. <clears throat> so something like the Oreo Complex... I always felt like it was limiting because it, it it was it was um, what was it called before? It's been so long I don't remember. Oh snap! I never even considered there being another yeah, name. Yeah, that was it. Palatable, which turned okay. into the short film. So I started with palatable with the idea that you know, um, black or minority ethnic people in this country always have to make themselves palatable yeah. to exist in certain environments. Whether okay. that's the way I sound, the way I act, the way I behave, um, what. Even what I eat, mm-hmm. you know, I have to be palatable to my environment. I have to be, I have to abide by the rules of the environment uh-huh. to exist and actually thrive. Yeah. Otherwise, I might meet uh, certain restrictions, struggles, hurdles, etc. Mm. So that was a title. And I was like, okay, palatable. So I wrote a poem because I always like going through words. Right, okay. So words are always my starting point. Mm. 
And then I was like, okay, I can, I can yeah, I could be into a, a piece of theatre. And as soon as I started expanding it, mm. I realised there was so much more to say about the experience of yeah. being palatable that just that word itself doesn't it encompass everything so. anymore. So okay. what can I do with just that word? Hence the short film. And I was like, uh -huh. okay, I'm happy with just going dance and poetry because that's something I've always been interested in. Mm -hmm. But what about the rest? And then the Oreo complex came in because I realised... There's Oreo, there's Bounty, there's Coconut. So there already exists a multiplicity of ideas that still exist in that umbrella. Yes, yeah. So from then on, I was like, oh, wow, this gives me so much freedom because I can look at it intergenerationally. I can look yeah. at it uh, just maybe culturally um, if I want. But if I want to limit it, I also can. Mm -hmm. So just having that range to work in was yeah. freeing. So yeah, just to say that my creative practice, it exists in a very text-based and actually cerebral way mm. of thinking before even stepping into a rehearsal space. Right. Um, so very much always concept heavy. Yeah. And how yeah, much yeah. freedom and restriction I can work with. Um, and I'm always referencing the Oreo complex because it's the only work I've like spent so much time on. I can so much only time imagine, on. <laughs> bro. Like... So much time on. Um, but I'm at a stage right now where I'm realising how much scope I have and how much I want to bring the bar the, the borders in. Okay. Because I started from such a big place mm -hmm. that it wasn't stifling when I'm, I'm needing to kind of hone things in. Yeah. Um, again, all cerebrally and like using text. Mm -hmm. um, and that's to say that when once I'm in the studio, I struggle. Oh, really? <laughs> I struggle. Okay. Because... I know exactly how I want to do things, mm. but in terms of experience, I don't have much experience creating physically in the okay. space. Okay, right, right, right. I've always had ideas, I always thought ideas, I've always mm. had concepts, but the actual experience and practice in a space is something right. I've began building. Right. And I feel like I'm, a, I'm in a good space now, and it took a few years of discovery, specifically three. <laughs> of going in between contemporary circuits, hip hop circuits, house, um, just like movement practice circuits, martial arts circuits to see how mm. people use their bodies in space and how they create uh, movement or dance to realize actually this is how I can work in my own space. Mm. So that's to say um, movement wise, that's always the last thing. Mm. Because by the time I get to the movement, I know what I want to say, I know how I want to say it, and I tend to now know how to use my body to say it. Mm. So things tend to flow when I'm creating. And because of similar experiences to uh, what we had uh, at Emerge Festival, I don't limit myself in always wanting to fill every, sec every second and yeah. every minute of, of sound or text of, or music. Mm. Because, um, and this is, I think this was something from. Uh, my days of YouTube binging and watching American choreographers. There's, okay. There's a, there's a woman called Galen Hooks. Yes, yeah, yeah. And she talks about, in one of her interviews time ago, how every move she makes, she needs to understand why it exists and what okay. for. What does it communicate? Every move. Mm. But every move doesn't mean every one, every E, every and. It just right, means okay. every significant move. Right, and in that line of thinking, I'm like, okay, I already think about exactly what I want to do and how I want how I want to do it. So why not think about that in her thinking and realize, okay, if this move is saying this, 
do I need to say X, Y, and Z before I get to the next significant point? Ah, okay. Yeah. The same way I think, okay, this is what I want to say, and then this is the other thing I want to say. Mm. What's in between? Okay, it could be this, it could be that, but I don't want to limit myself. Right. So I was yeah. I was able to apply a way I thought differently to how she was thinking in the creative world, and that mm. was such a huge click. So that led me to people like um, Tally, uh, Chanel yeah. Fergus, and her her approach of creating movement. Okay. It's so beautiful to me because it's like. She she spoke of um in her identity industry uh, ideas, I oh, think the, uh, workshops, workshops. Yes, yeah yes yes time ago as well of checkpoints she mm-hmm. has checkpoints as uh, she has movements as checkpoints and she goes from one checkpoint to another and mm-hmm. how she goes from one check to another is open to interpretation she figures it out as she creates mm-hmm. but there's always a checkpoint that you need to arrive at. Okay. And I found that so beautiful. Mm. And in my own way, I've looked at writing, mm. how we create sentences, how we create, how we use words, letters, etc. Yeah. So what does a comma feel like in movement? What does mm. a full stop feel like in movement? What does a semicolon feel like in movement? So me, right. a semicolon is like going smoothly from one point to another with a pop in between. So like the okay. pop as the agitator, that, mm. that just... For me, it just makes sense as a semicolon because you're mm. stopping a sentence, but you're also continuing it. Yeah. Whereas a full stop might be like a, a dime stop, right? Or you just end the movement and you have stillness, mm. and that stillness could either be the space after a full stop or an ellipsis. Mm. So that's just to say, I I learned to convert movement into text where I really fi- find myself comfortable, right? And okay. then I create movement from that way, from mm-hmm. from, from there. Um, but it, it's still a discovery I'm I'm going through. Um, it might sound extra for a lot of people. It's like, <laughs> bro, just move, just you move, know, yeah, just does. Yeah. But I'm just like, no, I need, I need a comma here and a full stop. Mm. Um, well, what's an apostrophe? What is an apostrophe? <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. that, that excites me because it allows me to look at my body in a different way and create in a different way because mm. I understand the text, but I'm still learning about my body and I'm still learning how to, how to master my body. Mm. Um, and I can't, and I can't say that without talking about um, a movement practice I discovered by uh, Thomas Lav English called um, um, Ferris Animi Terranova, and it's literally just about the mastery of self. Okay. It's like if you master your body, theoretically, you should be able to do every style of dance because you know which muscles need to move for a certain technique. You need to know which uh, musculature or bone structure works in ballet mm. versus contemporary, or whatever. So mm. it doesn't look at techniques as techniques. It just looks at techniques as movement and your body moves. So yeah. work on certain things that allow you to open up your body. Mm-hmm. And I've always had the, a very rigid idea of dance and choreography from binging YouTube to then experiencing street dance and hip hop on stage. Yeah. And kind of lending myself to the contemporary line of thinking and movement line of thinking, just mm. opened that up. And I was like, oh, wow, okay much better mm. to the point where looking at my videos that I've set to private on YouTube oh, yeah, <laughs> when I, I started say. dancing yeah. <laughs> I was so staccato and stiff okay. it was mad even when I was teaching at uni it was very like because that's what I was influenced by I can't um, even like, imagine um, that now exactly like I think I don't know as a is it Animaniacs? Swarf? Yeah, I, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That had a big influence on me. I mean, yeah. obviously, Boy Blue. 
um, Zoo Nation, all mm. those big street dance heads. I do, was doing street dance in West London mm. for ages as well. So yeah, like that way lines. of moving, yeah, shapes. lines shapes. and shapes, yeah, and the speed of getting there. That mm. was how I moved. But I realized how much I love being smooth and right. interrupting that type of movement with like hip hop and popping or uh, boogaloo or house technique. And building off of that and then falling back into a flow mm. because I was able to open up my body and, yeah, and just discover my body as a vocabulary. And you can do so much more if you expand rather than 100%. I'm just going to train my ABCs. Now, I'm looking at my XYs. Now, you know, I'm just going to focus on commas and things like mm. that, conjunctions. That's how I see techniques because yeah. techniques are like, this is what it is. Right. That doesn't mean it's wrong. That's great, you know, for, mm. for certain people. But for me, I'm like, but I want to do A, B, C, and X, Y, Z. I want mm. to look at commas as well. And it's like, because I was able to train my body through that movement practice, I've been able to do it mm. to a proficient level. Yeah. I don't need, I feel like I don't need to master anything. I just need to master myself. And this is a line um, I actually heard from uh, Nathan Lafayette. Oh, okay. From, ah, um, oh, what's her name? Ah, damn the name. I'm seeing her face. Um... She crumps. She's a dope artist. Saskia. No. Um, um, ah! The name is like? there. Sorry? What she look like? Oh, uh, gosh. Lady Godson. Okay. Oh, what's in there? Ah! Right? Okay, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, yeah, I yeah. need the name. It's going to come right, back I'll, to me I'll later. <laughs> it's that line she came up with, like... Uh-huh master of self you know and it comes from that 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 um that uh what was it called i don't want to say statement it's not a statement that is it idiom yeah the idiom mm. of you know uh jack of all trades master of none yeah it's like jack of all trades master of self because if you master right. yourself you can use all those trades mm. in a very efficient manner to still reach the level of mastery yeah you need for what you're creating and because I've changed my thinking to that, I can explore in a very free way. Yeah. So it's a very convoluted <laughs> practice, yeah. creative practice, but I find it comfortable. Yeah. From my journey with words and text and just existing in different uh, movement and dance spaces. Um, yeah. This is a way for me to bring that all together and find out what works for me. Mm. Yeah. So... Um, Let's 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 take things all the way back, right? Mm -hmm. To come back to this the present day, right? Because you you're mentioning going back to Togo and all of this has been dope to kind of see where you're at right now, mm -hmm. but to kind of be able to imagine what influence Togo could have on your artistry, it'll be good to kind of have an idea of what Togo is like. Mm -hmm. So, like, what 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 were your experiences when you were up to eleven? Wow. Slash every other two years you went. <laughs> <laughs> What's Togo like? Um, how to describe it? Mm. I, I don't. Want, I don't want to end up describing it like very poetically because that falls into the whole line of like romanticism that I'm trying to avoid. Be yourself. Um, <laughs> I mean, the obvious. It's it, there's a comfortable heat mm -hmm. that just feels like home. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's all to do with personal memories. Yeah. Um, from uh, my grandma's 
a home that I was living at when my parents came here. Mm. Um, just like the veranda looking onto a, an open plan home. Yeah. Um, had a mango tree bang in the middle of the, of the courtyard that I Love used to it. climb when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what's Toby like? I don't know how to do, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. No, that's all good. Like, it's just I... comfortable. It's yeah. family. I think family um, matters to me. And I've only realized that by going there because here it's just my immediate family. Right, right, right. Um, that live here and going mm. back and seeing like all the uncles and all the cousins that <laughs> you you haven't met or you've met before and don't remember so much mm -hmm. and kind of that reconnection. Yeah. Um, so it's very much like interpersonal relationships that validate that experience of home for me. Mm. Um, we drive on the right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Good to know. You know, um, yeah. typical kind of congestion, everyone fending for themselves at times, mm -hmm. ignoring yeah. traffic lanes. Oh, trust me. I know that. Um, but yeah. What about things like culture? culture. Like music, food, Oh, clothes. right, music. Um, so the main language in the South, there among others, but the main language is um, Ive. Okay. And is I speak I, a bit of that. E-W-E. Oh, what? Similar to Similar Ghana? to Ghana, yeah. Right, okay, um, cool. Yeah, those peop the peoples kind of came from, well, migrated from uh, Nigeria or through Nigeria down uh -huh. to Benin, Togo and Ghana. So those three countries, Benin, Togo, Ghana, have a, a lot of um, cultures that share yeah. similarities. So we share the same uh, voodoo practices as Benin. Okay. As the Ghana people. Um, uh -huh. And in terms of clothing, obviously, away in Ghana, you can kind of look at the kente cloth and yeah. uh, those kind of aesthetics mm. similar to Togo. Um, music, the drumming, um, singing and drumming synonymous to just being music. So when you say you're a music lover, it means you're also a dance lover. Right. That's synonymous. Right, right. Yeah. Like you're in tune with rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, various dances that my people do that I love that influence my practice. Um, Abaja, um, Akbese, Bobobo which you can also find in certain areas in Ghana. I was going to say. Um, so yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of crossover there because Ghana and Togo actually used to be just one country before the British and the Germans mm. and the French divided it up, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, culturally, there's a lot of sim similarities there. So mm. we're kind of all synonymous, but we also exist as our own. Um, yeah. Amazing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I don't know what else to... What about food? Food. Like, let's say we go to your grandma's house, yeah? On the, on the veranda. What can we smell? <laughs> <laughs> she used to... She used to make the most banging groundnut stew. Yeah? Is right. that so? Listen, so that reached the Sierra Leone as well. Banging right? groundnut okay. stew with fufu. Mm -hmm. oh, we call it fufu. But, you know, God, okay. English language says fufu. Yeah. Because um, Togo is predominantly uh, French-speaking. Okay. Um, but yeah, dude, when she made that, it was just heaven. It was just heaven, man. That that. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's the stuff. That's that's one of my favorite dishes. Yeah, that, that's you and my brother will get along well. That's, <laughs> that's 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 been his number one for 
Oh, yeah. it's just it's just made differently, and I know yeah. not a lot of people like like um, salty, savory kind of mm. peanut sauces, but when it's done right, it's done right. That's for sure. When it's done right, it's done. It's right. just different. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So when you were when you were um, like before you came here at eleven, mm. were you involved in like the singing, the dancing, and all that kind of stuff already? Um, no, actually. Not to that, not to the to the understanding we might have here mm, now. Okay. It again, it it permeates culture, it permeates yeah. the daily life. So yeah. literally, um, I went to a a private school, had the most butters <laughs> school uniform, <laughs> okay. yeah, bright yellow tops, bright sky blue shorts, and you had the pull up socks as well. It was peak. wow, um, colours. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, like even the the entrance, we had a school song that you come in, like you line up, and then before you before you go to your classes, you right. sing together in lines of your classes. Um, so my school had, I guess it was um, primary and secondary school. The way okay. you can understand it here, half of the school was secondary, yes. half was primary. But we were all yeah. lined up, and you had this big ass drum that the lucky guy who so gets dope. picked in the morning gets to play. And there was a a dope ass rhythm like. Boom. And then you'd be marching, and then I forgot the songs that you'd be singing, obviously under the flag, because, you know, patriotic at certain points. Yeah. Bring up the flag, sing your heart out for a few minutes, and then he keeps playing the drum, and every class, one by one in their line, goes to their classroom. And wow. I got to play the drum once. Come on. And I'm not going to lie. That was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> As the a kid, literally, you're in charge of organising people and getting wow. them into their classes. And the rhythm was just so dope. Yeah. But that was just every day, you know. Okay. It's only now, nostalgically, looking back at it, that you see its significance. But mm. that just permeated day-to-day life. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that, 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 that was a highlight for sure. Um, that style of drumming. Mm. Um, but again, there, there's a there, there's a Eurocentric um, culture that permeates middle class right. Africa, but Togo's uh, from my living, mm. where certain things are subtracted. Okay. So we didn't really get the full on traditional thing. We were just mm. through patriotic, patriotic, patriotic drumming. The yeah. same as you have here in terms of like the military drumming yeah. and marching. Mm-hmm. That's a very Eurocentric uh, line of thinking mm-hmm. um, and approach. So most of the traditional way of doing things we didn't experience because that private school was very much, you know, mm-hmm. French. I mean, it was named after um, Mary, St. Mary. Okay. Um, Catholic. Um, so Catholic tends to mean very, you know, European thinking, even mm-hmm. in their syllabus. Um, right. So that's to say I didn't experience a lot of the, the um, traditional things. Mm. And it's only after going back at a much older date date um, that I uh, found out that my granddad was like a chieftain in uh, okay. one of the villages in, in I guess Royalty. you would call it the Midlands. Mm-hmm. And he was that generation in colonial Togo that stopped the um, traditional practices of like uh, libation and like altar oh, wow. worshipping, things like that. He stopped he, that. He stopped that. Mm. And it's my mum's generation that grew up in that. You've read Things Fall Apart, right? Yes. Essentially yeah, yeah, that yeah. way. Okay. The way right. Okonko kind of yes. children were taken into Catholic or religious schools. Right, that was right, pretty much right. my mum and her brothers. 
Okay. Um, and I had no idea. I thought it was much, much before that, but it was him. Right. So he was very much involved in the traditional line of being. Um, mm. So I guess that's there, but again, I didn't experience it. Mm. Wow. So what was it like actually coming here then? Like, because I always, I always like to ask this question because um, some some people the change is more than others. Mm-hmm. Some people it's like they don't notice anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 interesting to see what you yeah. felt coming from Togo to UK. my my. I'll caveat it by my by my brother. He was the first one who went. Um, mm-hmm. So my parents were here already, and they brought him over. He was sixteen before okay. they brought me and my sister over. Like uh-huh. I think a year or two after him, and I hear his experience as like a complete culture shock just like everything okay. looks different mm. and yeah it was just completely overwhelming mm. especially at, at 16 but yeah. i came when i was 11 so i guess i had less of um mm. of an awareness so much okay but one thing i've always had a heightened um sense of is smell okay in terms of memories most of my childhood memories get triggered by smell like, okay. I won't remember anything until I smell something and go, oh, wait, that was that time I was that young and I did that thing. Okay. Um, so even in the place I was born, I didn't, the last time we went there, I didn't mm. recognise it until I smelt the trees and I was like, hold on, I know where we are. Okay. So wow. that's to say the first thing I recognised the change in when I first came to the UK was just the smell. It smelled so different. Yeah, I can It smelled, I don't know if the word is dry, if that, Okay. If that communicates anything to anyone, but mm. it's so it was so dry. It was void of something I couldn't put my hand on. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just smelled so different, and I don't know how to explain that mm. tangibly. Um, but that's the first thing I noticed. Wow. And, then, and then obviously the language barrier because yeah. you know it was French speaking, Frank Francophones in an Anglo. English speaking country mm. um, so that took a, t- uh, a bit of time to to adopt and adapt to mm. um, but I always remember the smell and even my first day in primary school was crazy because one I didn't want to be there because in the French system you're a year ahead so I, right. I had already finished my primary teaching in, mm-hmm. in, in, Fran- in Togo mm-hmm. but because you know here you're a year behind I had to repeat year six and I was like, bruh, I already, mm. I already did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had to repeat that and that was when I barely spoke any English. Like the English right. we learned in private school was like the Ghanaian wow. broken, no offense to Ghanaian broken English, mm. but it didn't help me here at all. Right, okay. At all. Cool. It was pretty much like starting from scratch. Mm. Uh, but it took some time to, to get used to that. Um, but yeah. Wow. Language, but most distinctively the smell. Right. Okay. Culture shock here. But you, did you did you kind of like, how long would you, would you say it took for you to get? Because I was a kid, and you know, kids tend to adapt quite yeah. quickly. Yeah. I think it took me until nearly the end of year seven to be completely fine with my environment. I was speaking okay. relatively good English mm. by that point. Mm. Um. So yeah. But mm-hmm. by then I was okay, and I was like, okay, I guess this is where I am. Yeah. Oh, actually, another thing that oh, completely um, <laughs> wrecked my brain okay. was because my brother was there already, and he loved cornflakes because, like, I mean, we didn't have that in Togo. So when right. he had it, yeah. milk, he used to warm it up as well. 
warm milk, loads of cornflakes in at once, mix that thing up and eat it. Yeah. And it's the first thing I ate after coming back from the airport the first time we came to the UK because we got here in the morning. Mm. And he was like, oh, are you hungry? Hey, let me make you cornflake. And that first bite, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what am I eating? Why is it warm and soggy at the same time? <laughs> because you mix that straight away. Right. It's only much later that I was like, you know what? I prefer it crunchy. But yeah. that first bite, I was like, bro, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. It was mad. But that yeah, is that's another. That's another memory that just came to me. Because I'm thinking about that. That is, do you know what? That is something I hadn't necessarily thought about because like me when, when we moved here we still ate very afrocentric foods in that sense but the textures of the kind of things you eat mm. here versus the kind of things you eat there is so different, so different. And, and if it's anything like sierra leone because we have very heavy foods obviously it's really hot and stuff and mm -hmm. you're you're very active during the day so you burn it off but everything is rice yam mm -hmm. eba fufu all yeah, those kind of things really really heavy yeah, heavy starchy, heavy starchy foods food. but then you come over here and it's like chips and like the fish you have isn't like the fish back home no and then yeah. like you like especially you when you're like in a coastal town and you had fresh fish nearly every day the difference yeah. is stark that is very interesting mm. i think i haven't even thought about it. yeah that's a that's semantic yeah. especially as kids mm-hmm because food is very central to any culture, you know. Yeah. I feel like food defines what a culture is like, or is at a root of it, or kind of define part of that culture. So mm. when we talk so, talk about cultural differences, you can pretty much look at that in food. That's why I very much vividly remember the first time I tried certain things here and how I reacted mm. to it versus to what I was used to there. Um, Especially with your sense of smell, <laughs> everything's heightened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Dope things, man. Okay, cool. So before before we kind of like start rounding it up, evidently from this conversation, right? Mm. The fact that you said like multidisciplinary earlier has still stuck with me because mm -hmm. I think I, I'm kind of like the same, but like when you said it, I was like, yeah, that's you, bro. Because <laughs> <laughs> like similar to like some of the other people I've interviewed, your mind tends to, I, I feel anyway, seems to be quite open. I feel, yeah. I definitely feel like you're a perceptive kind of being in that sense. But do you find that that's been a curse or a blessing or both? Um, I feel like it's always been a blessing, but it's because of others' perspective that it's felt like a curse. Interesting, okay. In the sense of, the societal need to streamline mm. and specialize in something right. yeah and i've agreed with it for a long time yeah. and i understand why in terms of practicality you know maybe mm -hmm. you're stretched you can be stretched when you're operating in various spaces yeah. but i think the defining point for me has been centering that and bringing it all home yeah bringing all back to me essentially Mm. The same way I, I discovered that I don't have to go into a space and only do hip-hop and go to a space and, you know, okay, now I'm contemporary. I can bring all of that influences with me wherever I go yeah. and remain my whole self. All of these things I'm interested in exist for a reason. So to ignore mm. them and streamline them, I feel like I'm deleting and cutting away certain parts of myself. And I right. never felt comfortable doing that. Yeah, I hear that. So in terms of it being a blessing... 
I feel like because I can express myself in so many different ways, mm. I always have an outlet, whether that's to do with going through personal issues or professional. Yeah. Because I have so many avenues open to going over that hurdle, mm. it alleviates the pressure of said hurdle. Yeah. So I might feel like I can't access words i might just look at movement or i might just look at film or i might just mm -hmm. look at um performance yeah um so yeah i, I definitely see it as a as a blessing mm. because once i feel once i felt comfortable and once i had ownership of all of those avenues i was yeah. able to go okay how do i make all of these things me rather than going oh, i actually can't be a journalist as well as a dancer mm. it's like well I can write creatively. I can still freelance as a journalist. So it doesn't yeah. take away from me being an artist because at certain points they intersect. Mm -hmm. Hence why I really like reviewing and really like feature writing. Um, yeah. And because I might have an idea artistically that might inspire a, a writing idea that mm. fulfills a different purpose. Right. Yeah, it might also cool. make me earn some money. Come I mean, ultimately, it's always that. But because I, I figured out how to make them intersect without losing what they stand for, why mm. they exist, yeah. I've, I feel like I have ownership and comfortability in owning. I just said something redundant. But uh, <laughs> I have comfortability in owning all of those things that make me whole. Yeah. Because if I was to drop, and I have done these at certain times, I've stopped doing any writing or journalistic practice, and it's felt mm. weird. I even stopped dancing for a time when I was teaching at a college. It felt mm. weird. Focusing on poetry, I was like, yeah, this is okay, but it felt weird. Mm. So that mm. there's an element of m multiplicity that I need in my life. And if yeah. that makes things cer certain things complex, so be it. I'm still navigating them and moving forward. So I definitely see it as a blessing. For sure. I think that's a great place to, to start rounding up, man. Like, cause I've had a ball <laughs> having this conversation. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. Um, sure. So is there anything you would like to say to those who are listening? No, not that I can think of. Fantastic. No offense to you all. I don't know what to say. I'm sure they won't take any. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you've you've covered quite a lot anyway. Like uh, like I said, the multidisciplinary. I always call you cerebral. Mm. Like just because <laughs> we always have these kind of conversations. Yeah. And I and I love that we can have that as creatives because you can't necessarily do that with every creative. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I learned about Togo. Good. Good. It's, it's, I, it's, I'm glad I, I said something informative you know? <laughs> <laughs> about my home. <laughs> we definitely need to get you back when you when you come back from that visit, bro. Yeah, like, I don't know when it's going to happen. Whenever. I'm ready. Don't worry. This is going to be going on forever. So okay. like, just, just give me a shout when you're, hell, we do one over there. I'll come with you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, just do one over there. That would be yeah. wicked. We'll but, see um, how that goes. So how... <laughs> So how can people keep in touch with you or like follow your journey and everything? Um, I've got a website, uh, myfullname.com, Isaac Guarinho. Uh, yeah. I can spell that phonetically if you want. Yeah, please. I-S-A-A-C-O-U-R-O-G-N-A-O.com. And there, I exist in my multiple ways. Boom. Journalistically, uh, there's a tab. Poetically, there's a tab. Creative writing. 
And artistically, mm. there's a tab, um, so you can see the body of work I have so far. There's a Amazing. lot I haven't released yet. Um, every, a lot of things in the making this year and next. Mm. Fingers crossed they end up well. But yeah, you can find me there. And everything else, like social media platforms, is, is on that website. So right. you can streamline from there. That's it, man. If you want to be bothered. The one, <laughs> the one point of contact for all that is Isaac. Yes. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, bro. Like, Likewise. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah. And I hope you all at home enjoyed it as well. If you Also, if you have any questions and stuff for those who are listening or, like, um, thoughts or feedback from what has been said today, you can get in touch with us by the usual channels. Um, www.anchor.fm forward slash tlltw forward slash message mm-hmm. means that you can send us a voice note and we can use it in, in future episodes as like stimulus to start conversations if you want to ask him a question or, or add to what has been said or share your own experiences it would be amazing um, the next episodes are going to be every Wednesday 6am GMT time So, um, yeah, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time on The Lion Learns to Write, reclaiming our narrative through identity, empowerment and creativity. Peace. And that was it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it and got some value from it. Um, If you want more info, you can go to www.becomeimmersive.co.uk. That's www.becomeimmersive.co.uk. .co.uk. If you have any questions or queries or you want to just give us a shout out, go to um, becomeimmersive at gmail.com or info at becomeimmersive.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is The Lion Learns to Write, reclaiming our narrative through identity, empowerment and creativity. So let's do that. Have an amazing day and see you next episode. Peace. Post.